Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. As older adults re-emerge into the post-pandemic world, the strangeness they encounter may open new avenues, but pose unexpected challenges. For some, Return to normalcy may be a meaningful celebration after quarantine and isolation. For others, personal health and safety may remain a top concern. Today, my guests are Dr. Margaret Gloria, Medical Director of Palliative Care and Hospice at Goodwin House, and Dr. Renee Lahe, Program Coordinator of Mental Health Services at the Jewish Social Service Agency. They're both going to talk about why post-pandemic re-entry may be more troubling for older adults and describe thoughts and feelings this population may be experiencing. They will also recommend strategies that will help reduce re-entry anxiety. So welcome, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Lahe, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Cheryl, for having us. Thank you for having us. All right. Well, Dr. Lahe, let's start with you. I like to start my interviews with definitions. Explain to us what is meant by post-pandemic re-entry. And I also read as I was looking for uh, creating these questions that I sometimes saw re-entry syndrome. So are those the same? Give us kind of a, 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 a start in what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, Cheryl. Yes. Uh, so post-pandemic re-entry is different from post-pandemic re-entry syndrome. Post-pandemic re-entry refers to the period of time in which individuals begin to engage in activities after the pandemic, such as going to the grocery store or visiting a restaurant or concert. During the pandemic, many individuals decided to withdraw from public daily duties or social events. However, with declining numbers of individuals with the virus, in comparison to the peak in the winter, many individuals are now re-entering society. Now, we like to distinguish that from post-pandemic re-entry syndrome, which is a term that's often used to describe someone who may be having a difficult time with re-entry and experiences anxiety upon resuming activities that were once considered normal before the pandemic. These individuals experience worry or nervousness about being in public settings and may even experience symptoms similar to a panic attack, 
which can include feelings of impending doom, shaking, heart palpitations, or shortness of breath. And are you seeing that, and, and I could ask for both, both the post-pandemic re-entry as well as the re-entry syndrome, is this whole concept, I mentioned this in my introduction, but is it true that this is more significant for older adults? And uh, if so, why, Dr. Lahey? So for many older adults, yes, re-entry has been more difficult. This is mostly true because older adults have been at a greater risk for getting severely sick and possibly dying from the virus. We know that at the beginning of the pandemic, the virus affected older adults at a higher rate and it was difficult to contain. Although the majority of older adults are now vaccinated in the U.S. and have re-entered society to some degree, there continues to be an awareness of practicing healthy behaviors such as wearing masks and social distancing to be safe. And so, Dr. Gloria, talk a little bit more about this concept. Uh, Dr. Lahey mentioned about symptoms and mentioned already social isolation, but this whole concept of social isolation and social distancing from friends and family, has that really impacted older adults and how they think about post-pandemic entry or re-entry? Absolutely. I think we've always known that humans are social creatures and that social isolation can have detrimental consequences on our psyche. But now we're seeing that play out in front of our eyes in real time. And I think for a lot of reason, those deleterious effects are affecting older adults more so than middle-aged or even younger adults. For one thing, older adults were much more likely to have strictly quarantined for the past year and a half for the, for the reasons that Dr. Lahi's already mentioned. So post-pandemic re-entry is really a big deal for them. And as anxious as many people are to get back to some sense of normalcy, it's also very anxiety provoking to come out of quarantine, if you will. I hear concerns from older adults about being in social situations, you know, what should I do if a friend isn't vaccinated and asks me to go to lunch, or what if I've forgotten how to play cards, um, or, you know, in some cases, maybe somebody used a cane uh, uh, to ambulate before the pandemic, and now they're using a walker, and so there may be some hesitancy um, with those kinds of changes as, as we reemerge. Let's expand on that. You as a physician in in observing patients, uh, talk about physically, emotionally, mentally, what are you seeing uh, in, in these individuals, more specifically in all of these different areas? Yeah, so most of the mental symptoms that we see are related to increased stress, uh, like trouble sleeping and in increase in anxiety and depression. Similarly, the most common emotional symptoms that we see is an increased sense of loneliness. Um, physical symptoms are also associated with both lack of physical activity, but also, again, that increased stress and anxiety. And those include weight gain, <clears throat> loss of muscle mass. You know, it doesn't take much to start to lose muscle mass if we're not working out or using those muscles. Increased blood pressure, which, which puts us at a higher risk of cardiovascular events like strokes and heart attacks 
Uh, we see a lot of GI symptoms like acid reflux, nausea, and diarrhea. Again, that kind of goes back to the stress and anxiety. Uh, weight loss can happen too. So if you think about it, uh, eating is a very social activity. And so if you've found yourself eating by yourself for the past year and a half, uh, it wouldn't be surprising to see that your appetite has declined and that you've had some weight loss. I'm also wondering even, uh, I didn't ask you this, but I would like to right now in terms of social symptoms, I've heard a lot about loneliness. And uh, I was wondering if that too, that's more in the social realm, as I said, but uh, what have you seen? Absolutely. I think an overwhelming sense of loneliness in any age group. Um, and, And that's understandable given that we've been so isolated from each other. And again, going back to the fact that humans truly are social beings. And I just have to kind of throw this in because I remember in the first part of the pandemic, there's also, I think, a feeling of loss that, you know, as we're getting older, we don't have as much time left as younger people, and yet we wanted to do certain things in our life, travel or whatever. And there is that sense now that, well, I've lost a year, I've lost a year and a half, and I suspect people are still feeling that given the presence of the Delta variant. Is that a part of it too? Absolutely. There is certainly a sense of time lost. And I think, again, that affects, like you just alluded to, older adults more so than it does younger middle-aged adults. And have you, Dr. Gloria, uh, found that uh, older adults who have dementia or some kind of cognitive impairment or perhaps a neuropsychiatric syndrome symptoms, is the social isolation and all that is included in that realm how has it affected these older adults that that have these particular conditions yeah so social isolation is bad for any any of us but the effects of social isolation on people that suffer from cognitive impairment have been much more pronounced than the effects of social isolation in adults that don't have any form of cognitive impairment in this population we see increased confusion irritability apathy sleeping more um, due to the prolonged isolation People that suffer from cognitive impairment are also much more likely to lose weight than their counterparts that don't. Um, And they're much more likely to have kind of just an overall decline that you can't quite put your finger on. Is there some reason for that? That's still kind of being studied or what would you say? It's actually being studied intensely right now, um, specifically the effects of isolation during the COVID-19 pandemic on older adults that suffer from cognitive impairment. And with all of that said, and gosh, we, we think we're, we're all, we can hardly wait to get this behind us. What are you seeing now, Dr. Gloria, as far as older adults' feelings about returning to pre pandemic lives? Are are they eager to get back to normalcy? Um, and so talk a little bit about that, and then maybe how that might differ from, say, younger individuals, say, let's use 55, age 55, and that. What's what's the scenario that, that you're seeing that's going on right now? Yeah, I think people, older adults in particular, are absolutely eager, you know, more eager to return than even, again, younger and middle-aged adults. And we actually kind of touched on it already. Cheryl, have you ever heard the theory that time passes more quickly as we age? I have not, but I suspect given the fact that I'm an older adult, I probably think that that's true. (laughs) But I'd, I'd be eager to hear more. 
<laughs> and I would agree. So there are several proposed explanations, the simplest of which being that if you take a period of time, a year for example, a year for a two-year-old is half of their entire lifespan. So relatively speaking, that feels like a very long period of time. But a year for someone who is 60 is a much smaller percentage of their total lifespan. It's less than 2% to be exact. So relatively speaking, the older that we get, the more and more our time frame of reference changes and the faster it seems that time is going by. So you combine that with the fact that we tend to start feeling that life is finite as we age, right? We start to get a sense of our own mortality through lived and shared experiences. So in my experience, older adults, for the reasons I just mentioned, are that much more eager to get back to some sense of normalcy um, because as you referenced earlier, it's almost like that year and a half was kind of lost or stolen away. Right, right. And the interesting part of that, Dr. Gloria, is, is that even if you start anticipating travel and you're totally vaccinated, you're still a little concerned about the variant and should I go and should I not go? So there's that anxiety continues. And absolutely, uh, I know we're going to talk some more about that. But uh, Dr. Lahey, I'd like to check with you about one aspect of re-entering, uh, re-entry, particularly reconnecting with family and friends and re resuming social activities. How do people feel about that older adults, that particular aspect of, of the re-entry? Well, uh, Cheryl, many older adults have been looking forward to seeing their family and friends in person for many months. I've heard from many older adults uh, that they will get together with just close family. Um, they've been holding off on engaging in social events until they themselves were vaccinated or their loved ones were vaccinated as well if they're able. Um, this has provided much needed hope during a frightening and isolating period of time. So uh, I've heard many stories about being able to hug and to touch again. The virus brought up the basic awareness of our human need to be connected. Is it totally positive or is there, I mean, I'm thinking of experiences of, say, you know, maybe the family members didn't get along very well together, or maybe the friends weren't as close as you thought. Is there kind of ambivalence? Is, is that or is it totally, wow, I can't wait to see all these people again? Just curious to see if there's another side. Yes, yeah, so, no, that's true. There is some variation um, amongst uh, older adults in terms of their optimism about getting together with their loved ones. Um, however, we are seeing an eagerness um, to reconnect with family and friends. And so it really is dependent on the conditions that the older adult establishes with their loved ones um, to, for them to feel safe in, in uh, having contact with their family and friends again. And I also wanted to talk with both of you about some of the activities that we did during the pandemic and in some cases are, are still doing, like doing even this broadcast is remote rather than uh, in person. But uh, Dr. Gloria, talk about how older adults communicated with their family and friends. I mean, of course, I'm thinking about Zoom, but there may have been other ways, Facebook. Um, what were some of the primary ways that they were able to figure out how to communicate with each other? And will that return to pre-pandemic interactions, more face-to-face, -face, is, is that 
again, something that they will welcome or are they still a little bit nervous about, say, going to something in person as opposed to doing those Zoom meetings? Yeah. So during the pandemic, older adults were kind of forced to find new ways to communicate and connect, and that included the use of technology. So whether it was Zoom or Facebook or FaceTime, um, a lot of different uh, new technologies coming into play. I think as helpful as technology has been, uh, many of my patients are, are anxious to get back to in-person interactions, go back to the uh, old-fashioned way of doing things, if you will. Um, but that being said, I think for a lot of people, there are some advantages to the technology. So for example, if you're long distance from your family, my hope is that this new introduction of technology has shown people, you know, I can use Facebook, I can use FaceTime, what have you, and, and I can stay connected with my loved ones. My children have a grandmother in Tucson, Arizona, actually, and we got her an iPhone in the beginning of the, of the pandemic because we knew that travel was not going to be a possibility. And so my hope is that going forward, you know, I mean, we don't get to see her that often anyway, even in normal times. And so from this point, you know, hopefully they're using FaceTime more often than they would have been before the pandemic. But I think everybody's also looking forward to the in-person. And I would also ask you, Dr. Lahe, did you see... Um, and you can both answer this because you both see patients. Was it a challenge to to learn these new digital ways? I mean, uh, Zoom. Gosh, we uh, trying to do a broadcast might be be challenging. But I was just wondering, in terms of getting onto Zoom or some other uh, way, getting more onto Facebook or whatever. Did you see that a lot of your older adult patients uh, learned new ways or were interested? Uh, in in um, learning these ways? And, and what are you seeing in terms of views about returning to face-to-face gatherings? Yes, uh, many older adults did le- learn new digital ways to participate in meetings and activities. Uh, this was a challenge for many. Um, however, um, many use Zoom, FaceTime, Teams. And since Medicare allows telehealth services through these platforms, Uh, This was important to help keep them safe while receiving care. Um, However, there was a study that was conducted by the National Council on Aging in 2020, and they found that 38% of older adults felt comfortable using the internet, and just under half have broadband access. So um, it's not as desirable for older adults to use video conferencing. Um, However, they realized that that was what they needed to use to stay safe. And overall, uh, there was another study that was through the AARP that found that overall, uh, the majority of seniors would like to return to -to face-to-face meetings for socializing. And all that said, with returning to -to face-to-face and uh, interactions in that, what what is the attitude or what what are you seeing? I'll, I'll actually start with you, Dr. Gloria, about, about post-pandemic entry um, for those who are vaccinated compared to those who are not. I, I don't have the statistics as to how many older adults, say over 55 or 65 or whatever, who are actually vaccinated. I think the percentage is pretty high, but is there a difference uh, of, as to their attitudes towards post-pandemic entry? What would you tell us, Dr. Gloria? 
Yeah, I think in our area, the percentage of adults over the age of 65 that are now fully vaccinated is approaching 70%, actually, which is very good. I think that being vaccinated definitely adds a sense of confidence and security for older adults, particularly during this Delta wave. Uh, this pandemic has been very scary for that age group, as we've talked about already, because statistically speaking, um, just being over the age of 65, regardless of your overall health and other medical conditions, that puts you at a higher risk of getting really sick from COVID-19, like Dr. Lahi mentioned already. Um, so. Even given the rise of the Delta variant, the vaccines have performed very well in clinical trials and in real life at reducing the risk of hospitalization and death. And so I think that certainly those who are vaccinated have, like I said, just a little bit more uh, confidence going back into the world. And Dr. Gloria, I just wanted to ask a, a, an additional question. You're right. We the the major emphasis in the early part of the pandemic was about getting older adults. Uh, vaccinated. Have you any sense as terms of, you mentioned 70%, what, what's happened to the other 30%? Is it, is it because of inaccessibility? Is it just um, still a, a refusal to get vaccinated? Uh, again, amongst this older adult population? Um, is it because they, I can't imagine that they wouldn't know about it, but any, any particular comments about the older adult population as to why they wouldn't have gotten vaccinated? Or is it some kind of health condition? That's a great question. I can speak to my patient population. In my patient population, I have very few people that have medical contraindications for being vaccinated. Um, very few people that that didn't have access to the vaccine. Um, and so I'm, I'm guessing there's a handful of people that, you know, for whatever reasons or belief chose not to get vaccinated. But for me, most of my patients are fully vaccinated if they're over the age of 65. And um, if they're not, it tends to either be the medical exemption or um, not having access, it, meaning, you know, maybe the adult is homebound or, or what have you. And Dr. Lahe, you, you see a different set of patients. Uh, any comments about that, that uh, as to why a certain percentage of the population may not uh, get the vaccine? So I am similar to Dr. Gloria in that the majority of the clients that we see are vaccinated. Uh, so therefore, it's been difficult to assess um, those who have chosen or are not able to be vaccinated. Um, but we live in an area where uh, the majority of individuals uh, are aware of the science and uh, choose to get vaccinated and believe that that will make all the difference in their ability to re-engage in society and for things to return to some sense of normalcy. I'm also curious, either one of you on this, as to uh, attitudes about the booster. Are, are they, uh, are you finding uh, within your, uh, your clientele or your patients that they're ready for the booster or they're asking questions about the booster? Because I think everybody wants to know. We can start with you, Dr. Gloria. Yeah, the vast majority of my patients are actually quite eager <laughs> to get the booster vaccine. Again, um, just in my patient population, I think they were eager to get the first vaccine. 
And now that there is some information that we're learning that, you know, people should be boosted about eight months after after their initial set. Um, I have patients contacting, you know, all the time kind of asking, so so when's my booster? <laughs> so quite eager. Okay. And and Dr. Lahe? I agree with Dr. Gloria. We have found that amongst those who are vaccinated, there's a positive attitude about getting the booster. And the majority of older adults who chose to have the vaccine uh, trust the booster and they believe it'll give them the opportunity to resume some level of normalcy. At this time, based on the feedback, they are highly likely to get the booster when it's available and they're ready for it. Okay. Well, we are going to take a short break right now in case you tuned in late. We're talking with Dr. Margaret Gloria, the Medical Director of Palliative Care and Hospice at Goodwin House, and Dr. Renee Lahe, who is the Program Coordinator of Mental Health Services at the Jewish Social Service Agency. And you are listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We are having a great discussion about post-pandemic re-entry with Dr. Margaret Gloria, who is the Medical Director of Palliative Care and Hospice at Goodwin House, and Dr. Renee Lahe, who is the Program Coordinator of Mental Health Services at the Jewish Social Service Agency. And before the break, I had asked both of them a question about boosters, but I think we should step back a little bit. I'd like to get more uh, input from both of you about how the Delta variant has changed the attitudes about post-pandemic entry for older adults. So Dr. Lahe, let's start with you and then, and we'll also then hear from Dr. Gloria. Yes. So from a mental health standpoint, it has caused increased anxiety for many older adults and they've really started to rethink their plans to re-enter society. Some were planning to travel while others were planning parties. Uh, there were a lot of graduation parties that were missed during 2020. There were uh, birthday parties that were significant, travel plans that were expecting uh, to, to um, fulfill lifelong dreams. Um, and so many people were planning to do these things this year in 2021. With the Delta variant and the confusion about whether the vaccine remains effective in the long term, many have scaled back their plans. Instead of traveling internationally, now they're staying local. Instead of having gatherings of, say, 70 people, they're deciding to have 20 or less and many have decided to require vaccination. So attitudes have definitely changed uh, since the Delta variant has emerged for older adults. How about you, Dr. Gloria? What are you seeing? 
where you where you're located. Yeah, I so much agree with Dr. Lahey. I think, you know, when the vaccines initially started to roll out in late December, early January, at least for healthcare workers and residents of nursing homes, everyone was so excited because there was a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think all of us were hoping that after, uh, you know, a majority of the population was vaccinated, we could return to some kind of normalcy. But I have found that for very good reason, the Delta variant has given a lot of older adults pause. I think uh, everyone but older adults in particular should approach the this post-pandemic re-entry during the Delta wave with some caution, because even though it's rare, you know, fully vaccinated people can still contract and even spread the Delta variant of COVID-19. I think it also illustrates the importance of getting vaccinated because those who are vaccinated are much less likely to contract it, like I said, and they're less likely to become severely ill or to die from it. Um, So unfortunately, I also don't think the Delta variant is going to be the last variant of concern uh, that we see. And so it's I always like to take this opportunity to remind my patients and families that I work with that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And so I I know we like to see it as a light at the end of the tunnel. There's going to be a sudden uh, resolution. I don't think there is going to be. I think this is going to be something that we're dealing with, you know, for years and years and years to come. And kind of added to that, Dr. Gloria, I was also wanted to get your feedback. I, when I introduced you, uh, that you are involved with in palliative care and hospice at Goodwin House, is is that a a, a special um, situation? I guess is the word I'm looking for. Uh, insofar as as people getting vaccinated initially and now with the Delta variant, is that something that's that's difficult and and it really has to have special uh, focus on for you? Yeah, so about half my patient population are enrolled in hospice services. So what that means is that by definition, they have a life expectancy of about six months or less, and so they are approaching end of life. And I think that, as I alluded to in the beginning, there's that sense, again, that life is finite. And for somebody who's enrolled in hospice, you know, especially so. And then additionally, for someone who's enrolled in hospice, you know, that's a frail person to start with. So as much as people really wanted to be able to hug and see and touch their loved ones, I think there was a lot of hesitancy in my patient population to get vaccinated because, as we know, sometimes the vaccines themselves can cause you know, some side effects. Um, I did end up seeing the, like I was saying earlier, the vast majority of my patients, even those that are on hospice, did did get vaccinated. Um, and certainly quite a few experienced symptoms like many of us have, you know, flu-like symptoms and not feeling well and maybe having a little bit of a decreased appetite for some time after, after the vaccine. Um, but in general, I feel like people have really done very well, um, responded very well, and um, and been able to, again, kind of get back those last months, if you will, weeks, what, whatever time period that they have left in their life. And you both mentioned uh, before the break about that there is certainly a receptivity for people to get the booster, uh, booster shot. I was curious also, I wanted to kind of expand on that question a little bit. Is there a lot of confusion? I mean, I think that that has been a difficult issue for everybody, not just older adults, but medical personnel as to uh, about the virus itself and and now the Delta variant and now the booster shot. Should it be uh, 
eight months or would seven months be okay or nine months and who needs to get it first and that I guess I'm I'm curious as to if there's a lot of confusion amongst your patients about the booster shot as to when they should get it and um and and how effective it would be and the other part I guess would, would also be for those many got Pfizer and Moderna what about those who got the J&J which was one shot any any comments? And both of you are welcome. I guess we can start again uh, w- with you, Dr. Lahe, and then uh, go back to Dr. Gloria about the booster. So what we are hearing from our clients um, is that there's not as much confusion about the booster as there was about um, when the vaccine first rolled out. Uh, when the vaccine first rolled out, there was an, an urgency uh, amongst the majority of our clients to get the vaccine. Uh, now uh, they are following what the guidelines are and listening to um, the CDC and the majority of the clients are not having uh, confusion about the booster at this, at this moment. Um, they know that they're in time uh, that will be uh, uh, decided and, and they will be able to receive it um, now that they've been fully vaccinated. So we're not experiencing any confusion about when or if they will get the booster. Anything in, in where you are, Dr. Gloria? I think there has been a little bit of confusion in the sense that, so right now the CDC is recommending that people that are immunocompromised should be getting a booster like right now. Generally speaking, if you're immunocompromised, you know it, but we're talking about patients that have received organ transplants or they're on daily high-dose steroids or other medications that can suppress their immune system. And then eventually, uh, starting September 20th and thereafter, the CDC is going to recommend that those of us that received either the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccines get boosters once it's been eight months, you know, from our original. So that'll start to roll out. And I have a feeling that that is going to roll out in similar phases to the previous because those who were at higher risk, again, living in congregate group settings, healthcare providers over the age of 65, they they tended to be vaccinated first. So therefore, they're going to be the people that come up due first for the booster. One other point of confusion that I see is just to point out that people that received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine are not included in this group. There is not enough data right now to know for sure that people that received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine should get boosted or not. And so that group is kind of just in a holding pattern waiting for the data to come out and for recommendations to, to come out from the CDC. Okay, and, and that's that's very helpful. I, I also wanted to ask you, Dr. Gloria, about how older adults feel about their family or friends who haven't been vaccinated. It seems like you've got a high percentage of older adults themselves who are not only fully vaccinated, but are eager and ready to get their booster. But what about family and friends who haven't been vaccinated? Exactly. So we have a very high percentage of older adults that are vaccinated, um, but a lesser, to a lesser extent, in younger adults. So when you're vaccinated, navigating unvaccinated friends and family can be really tricky. Most people are hesitant or unsure of how to handle things, and each situation is different. So I usually ask patients 
to kind of weigh the risk and benefit of the situation that they're considering. So for example, is your gathering going to be indoors or outdoors? You know, how many people there are not going to be vaccinated? Um, so for example, if you've been invited to go into your grandchild's classroom, the children aren't vaccinated, of course, because they haven't been approved to receive the vaccine. So you're going to be in an indoor space with 20 people <laughs> that haven't received a vaccine. Um, and then the other, the other side of the coin is, you know, how important is this event to you? Because again, as we're approaching kind of re-entry and trying to return to some sense of normalcy and trying to reclaim our lives, I think every decision has to be made on a risk-benefit type of basis. Um, so each person has to kind of make that decision about where their level of comfort lies. I also always um, try and remind people to be kind, not just to themselves, but to other people. So everyone's gonna have a little different level of comfort and different priorities, and that's okay. We need to embrace each other and, and support each other in this. And if you don't feel comfortable in a particular situation, it's okay to express that. And hopefully if your friends and family are equally uncomfortable in certain situations, um, you'll also be understanding and, and supportive too of them. We all just kind of have to do what we can to support each other in this. And Dr. Gloria, in that stream of thought here, are, are you still uh, uh, encouraging wearing masks and practicing social distancing uh, outside, the, outside the home? What are the best approaches that you recommend to your patients? For now, certainly, I would recommend uh, wearing a well-fitting two-layered mask and social distancing whenever possible when you're outside the home, and that's just with the Delta variant. The CDC is also now recommending that vaccinated adults wear masks indoors. Um, and so remember, it's not about eliminating risk altogether because there's there's really never going to be no risk unless, again, you stay inside your house. Um, it's about mitigating the risk whenever possible. And so uh, the most, for me, the most important thing is really doing what you can, when you can. So if there's a situation where, so let's just say, for example, you had a dinner planned with family and you were really looking forward to this event and you get to the restaurant and they don't have any outdoor seating and now you're being asked to sit indoors, that's going to be a risk. It's less of a risk if you're fully vaccinated, um, but you have to kind of consider whether that's worth it to you. And then again, I always remind people the most powerful tool you can use to reduce your risk is, of course, getting vaccinated. Okay. Well, I want to find out a little bit more about kind of what, what's the best approach or the, or the plan. And so, uh, Dr. Lahe, how important is it to take incremental steps and, and set up like a personal timetable to, to get back into uh, what you used to do before the pandemic? What, what would you recommend? Well, it's extremely important for older adults to allow themselves to ease back into society, similar to a plane on a long runway. While the pandemic emerged rather quickly, like a light switch, turning everything off, re-engaging into society will be similar to a dimmer with a gradual progression turning everything back on. So it's important that each indiv individual progresses at their own pace. What is right for one person might not be right for another person. We have to remember that each individual has had a personal experience with the virus this past year and a half. And some have lost loved ones or have been sick themselves, while others have lost confidence in comfortably socializing. So nevertheless, this period of time has been stressful for the majority of people and how one has handled this stress 
may determine how they are able to re-enter. And so you both have mentioned various uh, symptoms that people have have had, and the one that I heard uh, most often was anxiety. So talk a little bit more about what would be the first step to manage anxiety related to post-pandemic entry, and, and then after that, other physical and, and emotional symptoms. Dr. Lahe, help us on that. So the first step to manage anxiety is to remember that you're not alone. Um, if family and friends are not available, there's a number of resources in the community that are available to support you. So it's important to not compare yourself to, to others uh, and to remember that, each, again, as I mentioned before, each person's experience is their own personal experience. Uh, a number of people have um, witnessed the loss of a loved one and that's increased their anxiety or they've experienced being sick and that's increased their anxiety. So it is really important to seek out support within the, within the community and to not judge yourself or put pressure on yourself if you don't feel comfortable. Similar to what uh, Dr. Gloria was mentioning, if you decide to go out to a restaurant, thinking about whether or not you want to sit indoors or outdoors. If you decide to go to a concert, if you're going to go to an outdoor concert or, or um, engage in something that might put you at risk, it's really important to think ahead and think about how you will feel in that particular situation and remind yourself that each person on some level has been experiencing some, some anxiety related to the pandemic, and it's important to take your time. Are you seeing that besides anxiety, that there are physical and emotional symptoms uh, as well that, um, that people are, are having as they, as they face this? And, and if so, any suggestions in terms of better management or, or attending to, to those symptoms? Yes, absolutely. We're seeing, uh, as Dr. Gloria mentioned earlier, we are seeing some physical uh, reaction to what has occurred. Self-care is critical at this time more than ever. Being mindful of the importance of sleep, being mindful of the importance of hydration and nutrition, as well as getting exercise outside uh, boosts the immune system. Um, in addition to exercise, we are recommending uh, that individuals engage in meditation and at the minimum, the act of deep breathing, which can alleviate symptoms of anxiety. So self-care is absolutely extremely important uh, at this time and paying attention to what each person's personal needs are. And does it help? I mean, I'm just wondering, since we've had these Zoom calls all the time and uh, people were were communicating in that way. Do you find, and I'd ask both of you, but we'll start with you, Dr. Lahe, that people share their feelings that they're having with other people? I mean, that seems to be therapeutic when you're having other discussions oftentimes. So it's always nice to know that somebody else is dealing with the same thing. Does that happen too, that older adults talk to each other of how they're feeling about this post-pandemic entry? What are you seeing, Dr. Lahe? 
Yes, absolutely. So older adults uh, are able to use the telephone and have used the telephone in the past before video conferencing. Uh, that's been a great way to stay connected. Um, there are also an increase uh, in the community. There's been an increase of support groups that are available for older adults. Uh, so being able to stay socially connected has made a big difference in helping individuals get through uh, this period of time and sharing personal experiences particularly has been extremely helpful. When I was preparing these questions, I came found a, a term called grounding. What, what is meant by grounding? What does that mean? So grounding is a technique, uh, a therapeutic technique uh, that is utilized to help decrease anxiety by engaging the five senses. We all know that COVID affected smell and taste. And for some, they've not been able to fully regain these senses. The senses connect us with the world and can help give us needed relief, as well as help us to be in the present moment. So basically, the practice of grounding follows the five, four, three, two, one rule. Are you familiar with that rule, Cheryl? I am not. So please share that with, with me and our listeners. So um, basically, if one is feeling anxious, they should try to identify five things that they can see, four things that they can hear, three things that they can touch, two things that they can smell, and one thing that they can taste. By doing this, it allows the individual to be in the present moment and calm themselves by, by focusing on their senses. Some individuals like to keep something handy, like a piece of chocolate, if they want to use grounding to calm themselves when they feel anxious. Now, during the warmer months, we can safely practice this technique outside with bare feet, if one desires. Um, of course, being outside is not required. Sometimes people become anxious when they're in their cars um, and they're stuck in traffic. So basically, even if you can identify a few things you can see, hear, touch, smell, and preferably taste, it will help to calm the system, and reduce anxiety. And I just wanted to uh, reaffirm, Dr. Lahe, what you had also said about the importance of seeking support from family and friends during reentry period. Is that, is that something that you encourage and that people are likely to do? So it really depends on the comfort level of the older adult and the type of relationship that they have with their family and friends. Some family and friends can be very supportive. However, they need to respect the boundaries and conditions that the older adult has established. It might not make sense for a younger person that is, who has not faced the same risks, although now with the Delta variant where people are of all ages are being affected, there seems to be a greater sensitivity and understanding of the potential risks, and more people are respecting the desire for masks and social distancing. But it is very important um, that older adults, if they decide to seek the support from family and friends, 
that their family and friends understand the conditions that make them feel safest during this period. And I also wanted to ask both of you, since we've been talking with you, Dr. Lahe, about medical assistance. Is, is, do you think that it could go to the point where medical assistance might uh, help an older adult adjust to post-pandemic entry? And, and if so, what types of treatments or support would be worthwhile? We'll start with you, Dr. Lahe. So it's really important to know when to seek mental health treatment in the post-pandemic entry period. If an individual is having difficulty with functioning and is feeling sad or down most of the day, nearly every day, and this is really if, if someone is feeling tearful and is having difficulty focusing, as well as losing interest or pleasure in activities that they used to enjoy. And and it's not something like, oh, I just don't feel like reading a book today. It's really along the lines of, if we're seeing this most of the day, nearly every day, for at least a two-week period of time, then it may be time to seek professional help from a social worker or a psychologist. Other symptoms may include avoidance of leaving home or difficulty with sleep, eating or concentrating. Um, A professional can help with discussing the severity of one's symptoms and identify the best treatment options. And Dr. Gloria, what about you? What uh, in your, where you are, um, is, is, do medical assistance, do uh, is that a something that's recommended? And are there different kinds of treatment or support that are recommended um, for individuals who might need it? What, what do you see? Yeah. So I, I would add that during the pandemic, many people have postponed regular medical care. Uh, so it's really important to be sure that you're checking back in with your primary care provider for your regular medical care. And he or she can certainly help identify if further support or even medications can be helpful with symptoms that you're experiencing related to the pandemic. I'll also point out that, um, as we've already referenced, you know, technology is so much more used these days in medicine and in telehealth that sometimes it's even easier to access your doctor or even um, therapy services from the comfort of your home if you're somebody that feels comfortable using technology just keep in the back of your mind that virtual visits are so much more an option now than they ever were before the pandemic Um, and then again just to kind of reiterate and drive the point home to everyone The COVID-19 pandemic has been a major trauma for all of us. We've all experienced it in different unique ways, but it has been a major trauma nonetheless. And so it's okay to kind of allow yourself that realization, give yourself some space and and reach out again to the professionals, your doctor and so forth um, for any support that you might need. And Dr. Gloria, are you finding that maybe uh, someone might even have some kind of medication that's prescribed um, for maybe even a short term. Yeah, absolutely. As is the case with any major trauma, sometimes it, you know, 
medication is just necessary for depression or anxiety or anything else. You know, I talked earlier about stress and anxiety can increase other symptoms like gastroesophageal reflux. And so, you know, you may need to get to your doctor just to get some medicine for your reflux. And you can talk about, you know, other ways to treat your anxiety while you're there. But um, absolutely, there's lots of reasons that medication might be helpful. So don't suffer in silence. You know, if you have things that are bothering you, certainly, again, reach out to your primary care provider. And I, uh, one quick way, and then one quick question yet that I just wanted to ask, uh, ask you, especially because of your work with palliative care and hospice. I, has there been any special attention for caregivers um, because of the kind of trauma that that they have gone through or are going through? Um, not trauma, but at least some. Um, special situation. Is there any particular recommendation that you make for for people who are caregivers as well as the older adults themselves? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to, I, I think your first word was correct, Cheryl. I mean, it is trauma. It's a trauma that we all experience differently and individually, but certainly for people that are caretakers, um, the isolation and the quarantine that that has happened during the COVID-19 pandemic has has been an even heavier burden. So yes, as a, as a palliative physician and a hospice physician, um, my team has spent a lot of time trying to reach out to the, to the care providers who already have a hard enough job at hand and then, you know, which has been compounded from the COVID-19 pandemic, it's hard to really um, help because again, there was reason for all of us being quarantined and isolated. So it's it's hard to leave the house uh, when it just isn't safe to do so. Um, but now, absolutely, I think we're reaching out even more so to the people that are caregivers at home. Okay. Well, and one final question, Dr. Lahe, any useful resources that can help our listeners learn more about post-pandemic re-entry and best approaches for older adults? Yes, absolutely. For mental health issues, there's both local and national resources available. One can access local information from their area agencies on aging, which is a federally funded uh, service and provides information and referral for free. On a national level, one can contact SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. They can contact them 24-7 if looking for supportive services in their area. There are a number of social service agencies as well, such as uh, where I am at uh, JESA, the Jewish Social Service Agency, and they provide counseling services. These are covered through insurance plans. Um, these are options for individuals who are seeking support and help during this time. Okay. And Dr. Gloria? Yeah. One other thing to mention, don't forget that services like physical therapy are available to you if you feel like you need a little bit of extra guidance and say getting back to a, to an uh, exercise program safely, particularly if you have other medical conditions, and particularly if you have had COVID-19 during the pandemic, it would really be a, a good idea to work with a physical therapist as you're trying to get uh, back out into the world and, and back into an exercise regimen. And again, your primary care provider should always be a good resource for you if you need a referral for any of those services. 
Um, some some um, agencies offer programs like Goodwin House, for example, has a continuing care at home program um, that's designed for those that want to age in place. It's called Goodwin House at Home, and they offer um, customized plans and lots of support for all kinds of things, including but certainly not limited to resources on post-pandemic reentry. So certainly looking for those kinds of programs aimed at older adults in your area. Okay. Well, I want to thank Dr. Gloria and Dr. Lahey for joining me today. And if you want to learn more about Aging Matters, visit our website at agingmattersonline.com. And at this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio and TV show content, in addition to checking out the Apple and Spotify podcasts, which this uh, broadcast will be posted on as well. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, and you can learn more about this company by logging on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org. Thank you.